He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. Two weeks ago, uh, as I was preparing the first message on the woman caught in adultery, as I left the church, I was just overwhelmed. This woman is absolutely guilty. There is no doubt in anyone's mind that she is guilty. And the Old Testament law proclaimed that she would be stoned, her and the adulterer. As I got in the truck that day to go to Durham, I was listening to a gospel station and a gospel group sang that song, He Looked Beyond My Fault and Saw My Need. And so I asked the choir if they would sing that song for this Sunday. And I hope this morning that that thought will will be in your mind, not only as you listen again to the message, but as we take the Lord's Supper. You know, this is something that we do at least four times a year. And so often we can get in a rut and we can lose the understanding of what it means. But keep that thought in your mind. He looked beyond our faults and saw our needs. You know, if the Lord Jesus looked just simply at my life, he would say, you know, I messed up when I made you. I could have done a whole lot better than that, couldn't I? I mean, he could say that of all of us because all of us are sinners. But he sees through our blood-washed hearts, his righteousness. And for that, I am so grateful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather in your house. Lord, I thank you most of all that you are here and that your, your arms are, are open to receive us and to beckon us to yourself and just to fellowship with you in these moments ahead as we not only hear the word of God and apply it to our lives, but also as we take the Lord's Supper, remembering again that you died on the cross for us. And it is by your blood that we are truly cleansed of our sin and adopted into the kingdom of God. Lord, we're not worthy to be your children, but thank you again that you have looked beyond our faults and seen our needs and you've met our needs through your Son. So in this hour, Father, I pray that you'll make yourself known to us. And I pray, Father, that we'll give you the honor and glory that you truly deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read again this portion of Scripture, John chapter 7, verses 53 through John 8, verse 11. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such. What do you say about her? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now listen to these two verses. Jesus looked up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, 
No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. In the event that you are visiting here for the first time today, in the last uh, couple of months, we have been looking at a study of examples in the Word of God of people that God gave a second chance to. And let me just once again point this out. And I hope you don't get tired of this, okay? We've looked at Peter and the disciples, Matthew 26, Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. Uh, For several weeks, we looked at the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Today, we'll wind up this look at the woman caught in adultery. And I want to point something out. I want to just share this with you so that I hope you'll get excited about this. We're going to start looking at Paul next. And the main text is going to come out of Acts chapter 9. And I hope that you'll read those verses that tell about Paul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. But we're going to talk about his life before he came to know Christ. And it is such a powerful, powerful story. And I'm not trying to get ahead of myself. I just want you to know where we're headed, and I want to encourage you to read that, okay? And once again, this is our verse for the month, but I want us to read together John 3:17. Let's read this verse together because this verse means so much in this, to me in this passage of Scripture. And let me tell you something. I believe the gospel writers, led of the Holy Spirit of God, they included stuff in the, earlier in the gospel of John that would take on more and more meaning as the gospel progresses, And so read this with me again, please. John 3, 17. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Let me quickly recap last week. In John chapter 7, Jesus has been in the temple teaching. And the Pharisees and scribes are seeking to arrest Jesus and to put him to death. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt what they want to do with Jesus. They want to remove him from the landscape. And it seems at the end of chapter 7, perhaps it was at night, the Sanhedrin, the gathering of the the leadership of the Jewish council, has met to plot against Jesus. And so they make plans. They know that Jesus is going to be in the temple teaching. And so they make plans, and again, we're not given all the details of this, but it seems to reason that this woman caught in the act of adultery, all of this has been a setup. And again, from verse 6, they did this to test Jesus. Now, remember again that in this story, no one is doubting the guilt of this woman. She is truly guilty of adultery. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. She is brought publicly before not only Jesus, but remember now that they are at the temple. So the crowd is gathered at the temple to hear Jesus teach, and this woman is brought in. Can you and I imagine the embarrassment of the woman, the rude and brutal treatment that this woman is receiving from the Pharisees. And folks, as we have pointed out, the man who is involved in this adultery is never mentioned and is never brought before Jesus and the crowd. And the, the Pharisees tell Jesus in the law, we're commanded to stone the adulterer and the adulteress to death. You remember last Sunday, we looked at two verses that tell us that, Leviticus 20.10, and this is not going to be on the overhead, but let me give you these verses again. Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 22.22. And again, here's the trap. 
If Jesus said, yes, the woman is to be stoned, then remember Jesus, who is loved dearly by the sinners and publicans, who is even described as the friend of sinners and publicans. If Jesus said this woman is to be stoned, then the common people, the Pharisees were hoping, would abandon Jesus and reject his message of forgiveness. And if Jesus said no, the woman should not be stoned, then Jesus was breaking the law and he would be subject to their arrest and could be accused of blasphemy because he did not believe the word of God. So as these Pharisees and scribes are hoping to trap the Lord, they think it is a no-win situation and Jesus is going to lose whichever way that he responds. As they say that to Jesus, what does Jesus do? And this is where we closed last week. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, what Jesus wrote on the ground will be forever a mystery. And I hope when we all get to heaven, the Lord will answer the question about what he wrote on the ground. Some Bible scholars believe that there's tremendous symbolism here. Because in Exodus 3.18, you remember, I believe we had that verse on the overhead last week, that when God finished the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the writer Moses tells us that these laws were written with the finger of God. And folks, because Jesus is God himself, Jesus' finger also had wrote the commandments and the laws of Moses and the prohibition against adultery. So Jesus knew the law. And Jesus knew the holiness that God expected of his people. So what did he write on the ground? Well, folks, as I was sitting in the study, and again, I shared this with you last week, this thought came to my mind. Perhaps Jesus drew a picture of the cross, his cross in the sand, to remind him that he would soon die for the sins of this woman and man, whomever he was, and the scribes and the Pharisees, in the entire world for you and for me. Yes, Jesus knew the sins of this woman, but Jesus wanted her, wanted you and I to know his love. Now, let me say something that's not going to surprise you. Jesus knows every single one of our sins. Whether we want to admit that or not, Jesus knows our sins. Jesus does not have to have an x-ray machine to see what's deep down inside of us. He already knows what is there. And folks, this woman who is guilty is about to free, be freed from her sins. How's it going to happen? Well, let me get Steve to put up on the overhead Romans 8, 1 and 2. And again, I, we had these verses last week, but absorb these two verses. Listen to this. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free. Now look at this has set me free from the law of sin and death. Folks, again, here's just a, a tremendous sermon that Paul is saying in two verses. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, because of his death and shed blood on the cross, I am no longer under condemnation, and I am freed from the sins that would condemn me to hell. Can you and I grasp that? And I'm, I'm not accusing you and I of not having the, the mental ability. I'm simply saying, can you and I understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of the sins of the world upon himself? 
the woman's sins, my sins, your sins. All of us have sinned. Jesus took the sins of the entire world. Even the scribes and Pharisees who were enslaved to the sins of pride and self-righteousness and judging others and rejecting the very Son of God, Jesus died for them too. What a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture this is, folks. But in verse 7, John tells us that they continued to ask him, It seems as if they are pelting Jesus and trying to antagonize him, and they continue to ask him, what should we do? You know, you remember that video clip that we saw last Sunday out of the Passion, where as Jesus is out in the courtyard and that woman is laying at his feet, the the scribes and Pharisees already have their stones. They're ready to put this woman to death. They know that they can be justified by what they're doing because of the Old Testament scripture that she should be stoned to death. And all they're waiting for is Jesus to say, yeah, you're right. And folks, they're going to be putting her to death. And listen, it was required by the Jewish law that those that accused the ones of, of wrongdoing would be the ones to cast the stones. Now, that's Deuteronomy 17.7. Just trust me, we don't have that on the overhead. And so they have caught this woman in adultery. They have brought their rocks. They're ready to stone her to death. And I remind you again that in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, when they are stoning Stephen to death, the ones who have heard him say that he's seen heaven open up and he's seen Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, they're the ones that begin to cast the stones according to the Old Testament law. And you know, as I was reading that, I wondered, in Acts chapter 7, could there have been some of the same Pharisees and scribes that were there in John chapter 8? Just give you that for thought. Folks, these folks did not mind stoning somebody to death because of the sin that they committed But that's when Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Folks, listen to these words. Instead of passing judgment on the woman, Jesus passes judgment on the judges. Instead of having them stone her, Jesus said, how can you condemn her and not also look into your own hearts? And folks, let me read what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5:28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Living Bible translates that phrase lustfully with lust in his eye or with evil desire. And folks, these, this verse is not only for men but also for women. God can see deep down into our heart. There's nothing that we can hide from him. And Jesus knew knew not only what this woman had done, the very act of adultery, he knew what was in the heart of the scribes and Pharisees. And you know, that really shakes me up because regardless of how good and righteous and pious and pastoral I can act in front of you, God knows my heart. And I will answer to him for what is there. But thank God I can be forgiven for what is in my heart when I confess and repent and allow his blood to cleanse me. That's good news, isn't it, folks? That is good news because all of us are sinners. 
In this verse, Jesus has given the requirements for being a judge. Many of you have heard of Vernon McGee. He wrote these words. We have the right to be the judge of others provided we meet the requirements. And you know what the requirement for being a judge is? Sinlessness. If you and I have never committed a sin, then we can judge others. And let me put this in plain English for myself and for you. If we have committed sin, we need to keep our mouth shut and not judge others. Will you give me an amen on that? That's hard, isn't it? Listen to what Psalms 98, 90 verse 8 says. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. You see, Jesus not only knew the sin of adultery that this woman had committed, but she, he was able to look into the hearts of the Pharisees and know their sins too. There was only one person that day that could have thrown a stone at this woman because of being sinless, and it was the very Son of God. Jesus was the only sinless person there, but look at what he does. Once again, he bends down and begins to write on the ground. And in verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. You know what that means, that beginning with the eldest, the eldest were the most knowledgeable and wise and what would have been considered the most holy. And they're, they're convicted of their own sin and so... They turn and walk away. Folks, there's another question that comes to my mind. Has the temple crowd left also? Are they, can they hear all that is now about to happen? We don't know and we're not told. But look at what Jesus said. Jesus, in verse 10, looked up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? What does this mean? And I told you last Sunday that I wanted to think about this for just a second. Where Jesus says, neither do I condemn you in verse 11. What does this mean? Is Jesus soft on sin? Does Jesus not believe the Old Testament law against adultery? Or is Jesus reversing this law? Is Jesus going to forgive everybody of sin? Therefore, we can do whatever we want to do and get away with it. And are God's standards for you and I really a joke? You know, we're living in a day in which whatever you want to do, just do it. And so often you and I as Christians are sucked into that mind thought. Well, if God will forgive me, I'm just going to go ahead and, 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 and do it, and then I'll ask for forgiveness. Folks, that's not the attitude we need to have, and Jesus is not soft on sin. God is holy and always will be, and his standards... Do not change. But let me show you what Jesus is doing. First of all, Jesus is acknowledging that the woman has sinned and adultery is sin. And the woman was guilty according to the Old Testament law. She should die. But let me again remind you of John three seventeen. For God sent the son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be what? Saved. Through him. And in 
Luke 19.10. Remember this verse? We've spoke of it so many times. And Steve, if you'll put that up, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So why is Jesus there at that particular moment? Jesus is there to save this woman. But folks, listen to these two verses, Romans 3.23 and 6.23. Okay? Romans 3.23. Since all have sinned. You get that? All, every single one of us have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. And look at Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Jesus is placing his cross between the woman and her sin. And folks, he does that for me and you also. Amen? The judgment of our sin either falls on Jesus at the cross or it eternally falls on us in hell. I know that's strong language, but folks, that's it. The way that you and I are going to get to heaven is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ washing our sins away. And please notice that Jesus offers this woman forgiveness and salvation. And again, how can he do that? She is guilty. Jesus can do that by going to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin and for her sin. I want to share something with you, and I want to, I want to tell you where this thought came from. I'd never seen this before. Yesterday afternoon in Durham, I, I did a, a wedding for um, a young man who has lived here in Roxborough all of his life, been one of my neighbors. And the girl that he married was the daughter of a district judge there in, in Durham. And the man, and he let me know uh, in a very um, nice um, and tactful way that he was a believer. He told me the name of the church that he attends. He is very, very faithful to that church, uh, lives a life, you can see Christ in him. But as I was getting ready to leave, he asked me, he said, is your sermon ready for tomorrow? And I said, yes, it is. And he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, the woman caught in adultery. And this is what he shared with me, and I've never seen this before. He said, you know, there are at least three examples in the word, in the Gospels where Jesus commutes a death sentence. He says, the woman caught in adultery. According to the Old Testament law, she was to die. Jesus commuted her sentence. He said the prodigal son, you remember as we studied the prodigal son in Luke 15, that as he came back to his father, his father ran out and embraced him. And we read out of the, the law in Deuteronomy that if a young man had dishonored his father, that when he came back, he could be stoned by the neighbors. And the father was embracing his son, covering his body in the event that some of the neighbors saw him and picked up stones to, to put that young man to death. That was the second person whose death sentence was commuted by the Lord Jesus. And how about that thief that died on the cross beside Jesus? Who said to the one that mocked Jesus... We're being put to death for crimes that we have committed. We are guilty. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. He commuted that man's death penalty.
Folks, again, understand this. Jesus had not come into the world to judge this woman, but to save her. And for Jesus to forgive this woman meant that he one day would have to die for her sins. You remember in John chapter 1, and, and a number of months ago, we, we did some study in that chapter. Look at John one twenty nine, and these are the words of John the Baptist the first time that he sees Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, now look at this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Folks, Jesus is offering this guilty woman a way out of her life of sin. And so Jesus says to her in verse 11, Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Adultery is not acceptable. Adultery, Jesus is saying her, is to her as sin, but when a person acknowledges their sin and desires to repent, go in a new direction, Jesus stands ready to forgive, to restore, and to give a second chance. Folks, that woman, and I can't imagine again how they must have brought her in there. Do you think she would have just walked in there and laid down? Don't you think she would have been fighting against them? To be brought in before the temple crowd? And to be brought in before this great teacher and prophet? But it's the best thing that ever happened to her because that day she met Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes it is hard for us to acknowledge our sins before we become a Christian, isn't it? And that's one of the first steps. We've got to admit that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God before God can begin to forgive our sin and heal our hearts and make us a new creation in Christ. We must admit our sinfulness and our sinful need. But thanks be to God, when we confess, what does he do? He forgives. And you know, you and I as Christians, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the sin that, that is seeking us. Satan is trying to trap us often and pull us out of the will of God. We've got to go back to the same one that we originally received forgiveness from, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what John says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Yesterday morning, some things that I've been struggling with in my life, God just reminded me of the truth in this scripture today. We must come before him, confess our sin, forsake our sin, that's repentance, and turn to him. God bless us all. And may we know that freedom from sin, and may we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this story in Scripture. Lord, I thank you that one day we'll get to meet this woman. But most of all, we'll get to meet the Savior. Lord, I thank you that you're here right now, and for those that need to be forgiven of sin, you are here ready and willing to forgive if we will simply 
acknowledge our sin and desire to go in a new direction, and that direction is following you. I pray, Father, in these moments of invitation that you'll speak, and if there's someone here that needs to openly and publicly confess their faith, that they'll do that. And I pray for all of us as Christians, Father. Lord, only you know what's going on inside of our hearts. But I thank you that when we come to your son, there is forgiveness and cleansing and a second chance. So I pray, Father, whatever the need is, that as we stand together and sing a hymn of invitation, that your spirit would speak and lead and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.